the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Thank you so much for being with me this evening in this wonderful space. I am so excited today. There's so much going on. And I, you may be able to tell by my voice that I'm losing it because I've been so excited talking about all of that's going on today. Uh, March, April issue of 1111 Magazine released, and there are some incredible articles that are being featured. Kristen Arillo, Gabrielle Bernstein, Kaya, David Eisen, Colette Baron-Reed, just amazing, amazing individuals in this March, April issue. So definitely go to the website and access it so that you can read all the beautiful information. That is something that I create and give to humanity. It is a pleasure and an honor to share the many different gorgeous voices that are out there sharing such wisdom. My other great joy today that has has me losing my voice is one of my favorite authors and teachers is with me this evening, and that is Neil Donald Walsh. And he, too, will be featured in 1111 Magazine in the May-June issue, but we have him here right now, and we are talking about the only thing that matters. Yes, the only thing that matters. Survival is not the basic instinct of human beings, nor of any sentient creatures in the cosmos who have evolved into self-consciousness. For such beings, the basic instinct is divinity. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how we get to that point, how we gain an understanding of the only thing that matters. This beautifully written book is almost as if your soul is speaking to you. It literally is as if you are in front of the mirror and talking to yourself, but that deeper, higher part of yourself that truly knows who you are. Neil Donald Walsh is the author of 27 books on spirituality, including the Conversations with God series, which have sold millions of copies worldwide. His books have been translated into 35 languages, and seven have made the New York Times bestseller list. The author's Internet television program, Talk to Neil, allows his readers to interact with him regularly in person at www.cwg.tv. And Neil Donald Walsh lives with his wife, an American poet, M. Claire, in Ashland, Oregon. And again, he is with us tonight, and we are discussing The Only Thing That Matters, which is book two in the Conversations with Humanity series. Welcome, Neil, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Thank you. It's lovely to be here with you. So something very unusual is occurring on this planet right now, and it is something that many people are feeling. There is a, a bit of a tumultuousness and upheaval um, Things were supposed to be smoother in the golden age, we all thought, and yet things seem to be somewhat the same, and for many people, things seem to be breaking down a little bit more. Why is that? Well, I think that we're undergoing what I have chosen to call the overhaul of humanity. Uh, 
I think what's happening, Simran, is that the human race is beginning is beginning to lose patience with itself. I think we all uh, are seeing that, frankly, nothing on our planet is working the way it was intended to. Our political system is not working. Our economic system is not working. Our ecological, environmental systems are not working. Our educational systems are not working. Our social systems are not working. And even our spiritual systems, that is, we call them religions, are not working in the sense that they produce the outcome that they were intended or designed to produce. In fact, nothing is working. None of those things. And And we're not supposed to look at that as really bad, because if things are happening the way they're intended then they shouldn't be bad, but yet it's so easy to go into the fear or even the anger of what is going on. How should we then construe this as we see these things happen? I think that uh, we look at them and we decide, is this what we now choose? That is a continuance of these conditions. Or uh, is life really, telling, in a sense, telling us something? Are we telling ourselves something? Are we telling ourselves that it's time for a new story, a new cultural story, a new story about all of it, the the totality of the human experience, beginning with a new story about God and then moving to a new story about ourselves as sentient beings, to use the phrase you used earlier, then telling us a new story about our relationship with each other in our global society and the reason that we're here, and what our true and right relationship is. So I think that these these occurrences are natural outcomes of an ongoing process that we loosely call evolution. And there comes a time in every evolutionary cycle where we reach the end of sustainability in that particular modality. That is, we go as far as we can go in in any sustainable way, uh, along a particular path. And the last time we had this kind of uh, experience was at what we would loosely call the, the Renaissance. And that was a period uh, during which we also agreed, as a collective known as humanity, that things were simply not working. And after the Renaissance, the Renaissance took about 300 years to um, to process itself through to the conclusion of it, But in that 300 years, everything changed. I mean, the way we did business, the way we did commerce, the way we did politics, the way we did spirituality, the way we did art and music and culture, really the whole of humanity's experience of itself shifted and changed. Now that's, that's, and one could call that certainly an upheaval or an overhaul of humanity. That is what is happening, I believe, right now, although it won't take 300 years, but rather about one-tenth the time something like 30 or 35 years, about one-tenth the time, because of the incredible speed, the uh, extraordinary ability that we have uh, to communicate with each other instantly uh, across great distances. Something happens in Singapore, uh, the saying goes, if a butterfly flaps its wings in Singapore, it affects life in San Francisco. And so it is that we live now in a world where communication is instantaneous, the result of which is that the outcome of behaviors, decisions, choices, and activities of humanity is experienced by the rest of humanity very rapidly and virtually universally. 
And so a process that might have taken 300 years, some decades back, some centuries back, now takes around 30 or 40 years. Now, when I talk in terms of the the overhaul of humanity, I want to make clear that the a word overhaul is, as you indicated, not something to be afraid of. When something is overhauled, that doesn't mean that it's taken apart and disassembled and forever destroyed. But rather, an overhaul means to, yes, to take things apart piece by piece, but also then to put them back together in an even more efficient and effective manner, as one might overhaul an engine, for instance. So it's not about taking it apart to stop it from operating, but rather taking it apart to put it back together again in a new and more effective way to keep it operating more efficiently than ever before. That's what's happening right now in humanity as we see what looks to be the falling apart of our, for instance, our global financial system. But now we're seeing that what we're really facing is an opportunity to reconstruct ourselves spiritually, educationally, ecologically, uh, philosophically, politically, uh, and economically in just about every way that we live our lives from the entire cultural story that we have created. So I think what's happening right now, Simran, is that human beings are beginning to create a new cultural story. And to the degree that we can do that together, move through that process as a unified whole, to that degree, we will create a new story that serves us and allows us to create really, in, a, in many, uh, in, in, a, in a big sense, uh, create a new human. That is a new way to be human. And that drives to the, po- to the point that you made very early in our visit today, which is that the ultimate goal of humanity, the basic instinct, is not survival, but rather, in fact, the expression of divinity. And that's what I think the new human is going to be involved in. How can we now express the highest idea that we hold about what it is to be divine? And you really term that right away in the book as an invitation to us, an invitation from life, and that life really does love us. So it's almost as if this entire experience is here for us to experience, not to back off from, but to truly now engage in. Yes, but to experience in a particular way. And the way in which we experience will determine the outcome of our uh, particular encounter with this experience. That is, I don't think it should be made, um, I don't think we should make the statement that the outcome is guaranteed. We're, we're really, it's almost like a rebirth. My, my lovely friend Barbara Marks Hubbard calls this the birthing of humanity. And uh, it's almost as if uh, we face as many dangers as we face opportunities for the glorious expression of humanity's highest idea about itself. So the outcome is, is by no means guaranteed. We therefore cannot walk around, and ought not to be walking around, you know, just blithely saying, everything's all right, and everything's going to be all right. And we don't have to worry about, see, I don't think we should really worry about things, but we should be participating in things. We should, see, things are going to change on this planet, and the question is simply not whether they're going to change, but how. And that question is determined by the part that we choose to play. Shall we be simply observers from a distance, members of an audience, just looking at the changes that are occurring and having nothing to do with them? Or should we, in fact, be participants in the creation of those changes. That's the central question facing humanity right now.
the divine impulse, your basic instinct, is for you to be everything that is possible for you at any given moment. It is the inner feeling that pulls you to the part of you that you are drawn to on every step of the road, every second of your life, the highest truth, the grandest love, the deepest wisdom, the greatest compassion, the largest understanding, the longest patience, the strongest courage, all or any one of these aspects of the divine, and countless other aspects as well, for the divine is infinitely divine in an infinite number of ways. This is from the book, The Only Thing That Matters, written by Neil Donald Walsh, who is also the author of 27 other books of practical spirituality, including the Conversation with God series, which have sold millions of copies worldwide. You can find out more about Neil at cwgportal.com. That's cwgportal.com. Again, the title of the book is The Only Thing That Matters, and we'll be right back with Neil Donald Walsh. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio, Simran Singh. Neil Donald Walsh says that we need to look at the only thing that matters. What is that only thing that matters to you? If your basic instinct were survival, you would run away from the flames of a burning house. But you would run into the flames because you would hear a baby cry. And in that moment, your survival is not the issue. If your basic instinct were survival, you would turn away from the man with the gun. But you stand between the man and the person he is assaulting. In that moment, your survival is not the issue. Something deep inside of you, something you cannot describe or name, calls to you in such moments to demonstrate at the highest level who you really are. This is from the book, The Only Thing That Matters, written by Neil Donald Walsh, and he is my guest today. If you'd like to find out more about his work or connect to some of his other writings and uh, additional 
programs, you can go to cwgportal.com, cwgportal.com. Again, the book is The Only Thing That Matters. So, Neil, I want to talk a little bit about how we get to that point because a lot of people would say, what's in the way? I don't really know where I'm going. I'm on all kinds of paths. I don't know who to follow. I don't know where in my life to really focus. There's so many things going on, and technology is traveling so fast, and it's keeping me buzzing just as quickly. So where am I going to be able to even know what really matters? I think there's only one thing going on. There aren't so many things going on. I think there's only one thing going on, and and the answer to the question, where am I going, um, is not quite as simple as it might sound. That is, there is no one-size-fits-all answer. Every soul decides for itself where it's going in the specific sense. Broadly, in the general sense, we're all going to the experience of completion in the expression of divinity. I want to say that again so people can really grab onto it. In the broadest general sense, we are all going to the experience of completion in the expression of divinity. And so the ultimate um, outcome for all of us is that we will completely express all that divinity is. And we have the opportunity to do that on a moment-to-moment basis. It isn't uh, a goal that we suddenly achieve at some particular point in time after which we have achieved it and we are then completely evolved. It's not like having your tonsils out or crossing the Rubicon or having some once-in-a-gazillion-year experience. In fact, the experience of completion in the ultimate expression of divinity is an experience that we can notice moving through us at any point in time, and we do. People experience the complete expression of divinity insofar as every situation and circumstance will allow many, many times in their lives, sometimes many times in a particular day. And we even have heard of human beings who have experienced that complete expression of divinity so frequently, so consistently throughout their lives that in fact we call them saints or sages or gurus or masters. So we are instructed by their example that the experience of divinity and the complete expression of it is possible. And it is an ongoing experience, not, as I said, a once-in-a-lifetime expression. Now, when we know that, then we have a sense of, okay, that's where we are going broadly, generally. Specifically, each human being, each soul, if you please, gets to decide for itself what that looks like, what that, that complete expression of divinity looks like. And we get to choose that based on impulses that arise within us on an individual basis. For Barbara Streisand, it's singing an extraordinary song in such a way that clearly the gift has come from heaven. For uh, a research doctor, it might be discovering you know, and having a eureka moment when a huge discovery is, is made that ends the quest to cure a particular disease. When a, when, a, when a political figure experiences such a moment, it could produce outcomes that affect the rest of humanity for decades and, in fact, perhaps forever, such as Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And there are many other examples as well. And one does not have to be, obviously, a well-known person uh, for, for that to have become their reality. People who we do, do not know, whose names are not known to us, 
have equally experienced such moments, and often many of them. So life, human life, is designed to give us the opportunity through the presentation of situations and circumstances that are uniquely designed to present to us and to offer us chances to express the next highest version of the greatest vision ever we had about who we are, that is, to express divinity in the next grandest moment. And the wonder and the beauty of life is that we have an endless number of those experiences. That is, the, the um, understanding of Eastern mystics of what is called reincarnation. It appears to be what's so. It appears to be the, the actuality of things. That we are not here on just a once-in-a-lifetime experience from birth till death, but in fact move through the physical encounter an endless number, a countless number of times through all eternity not just necessarily in this particular form or in this particular place for that matter, but through the entire universe which has an endless, almost countless, inconceivable number of choices in, in which and through which we can manifest physicality so that we might express divinity in all the forms that are available to life itself. So a person might be asking themselves, am I really expressing my divinity right now? I don't know my purpose in life, or nothing seems to have clicked, and I, I haven't tapped into that thing, whether or not it's supposed to be celebrity status. I haven't tapped into that thing that seems to be the reason I was born. So for someone like that is that is feeling in that way, how do they step more into the concept of expressing their divinity than really looking at it as a purpose or a thing or some type of end result that has to be accomplished? Because to me, that seems like they're two very different things. Well, they are, and in fact, there is no purpose to life specifically. The reason that one is born does not exist. Who would decide? And on what slate or blackboard would it be written? See, life is not like that. There is no great big blackboard in the sky on which it is written. Simran Singh a lovely lady who lived in the first quarter of the 21st century, whose function and purpose in life is, colon, and there it is. See, you, you'll, you'll search all your life and not find that blackboard, because who would write on the slate to begin with? And if it, was, if it would be God, if God has assigned, there are those who believe that this is how it is, but it isn't, but if it, if, 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 it, if it were that way, if God would be the one to, to write, to complete the sentence on the blackboard, Simran Singh, a lovely lady who lived in the first quarter of the 21st century, whose purpose is, colon, and then God fills in the blank. Why would God not tell Simran Singh and Neil Donna Walsh and, and Harry Schwartz and, and Bob Smith and, and Margaret Jones? Why wouldn't God tell us? Why would God keep it a secret and make us yearn for it and hunger for it and search for it for the whole of our lives? Well, the reason that we hunger and search for it and yearn for it for the whole of our lives is because it doesn't exist. That is, we're looking for, for that which is not. There, you know, metaphorically speaking, there is a blackboard in the sky as a metaphor. It does say that Tom Smith, a nice gentleman who lived in the first quarter of the 21st century, whose purpose is, colon, and then God gave us the chalk mm. and said, fill in what you will. And by the way, don't worry about it being indelible. There's an eraser at the bottom of this blackboard. You can change your mind about it from moment to moment, from day to day, from hour to hour, from year to year, and indeed 
from lifetime to lifetime. Such is the wonder and the glory of the freedom. Some theologies call this free choice or free will. That God has given us this extraordinary gift to say, no, 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 wait a minute. I haven't given you a purpose. Why, how would it serve me to give you a purpose to assign you a reason for living and then not tell you about it and then make it difficult for you to even achieve it? No, the reason it's difficult for you to achieve it is that you have failed to decide. Life is not a process of discovery. Life is a process of creation. Now, one more thing on this topic, because it's a very important caveat, a very important postscript. Before you get to that, Neil, I, I want to ask one question just based on what you've just said. And with what you've just said, that would mean we can't make a mistake, that we really cannot make a mistake. It is just choices of us being in creation and experience all of the time. That's precisely true. That is exactly what's so. It is impossible for us to make an error. And the, that's, that is why the, uh, the second illusion of humans is that failure exists. It does not exist. There's no such thing as failure. Failure is one of the ten illusions of humans as described in great detail in the book Communion with God. So you're perfectly correct. It is impossible to fail, but it is not impossible to imagine that you have. Mm. So that's another one of the places where we, be- we allow ourselves to buy into the lie or the falsehood rather than remembering the truth. Yes. There's a thought out there that there are specific things that we're supposed to be, do, and have, and that if we don't be, do, and have those things, that somehow we've been a failure in our life or in this particular portion of our life. And that is one of the biggest hmm, downfalls of humanity. That, that is that belief, that idea, that thought is one of the biggest errors that human beings have ever made. There is nothing that we are supposed to be, do, or have in the sense that we are required to. We should stop, we should stop thinking that way. I almost want to say, don't shoot on yourself. And when it comes to really remembering, because I love the section that you have in the book about the body and the mind and how the soul knowing has a remembrance, it, it, it knows who we are and what we are and, and allows us to be that truth if we choose to keep making the steps. But so many people may have trouble believing that the body and the mind never die because they disappear in front of us. Well, that, that's a whole different topic. Let me get to my postscript, which I never got yes. to. Yes. And then we can come back to that huge topic of the body and the soul and the mind and the triumvirate that we call the totality of our being. But the postscript that I was going to get to is that the freedom that we have should not be misunderstood to mean that we get to choose what we want to do in life. Life in the end is not about doing this. And that's the second mistake that most human beings make. That is, they think, well, there's something, okay, if there's not something that I should be doing, if there's not something that I was told that is my purpose or my reason that I'm supposed to be doing, then... Maybe there's something that I get to choose to do, but still, I still don't know what that is. What would I choose to do? And God says, no, 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 it's not about what you're doing. It's about what you're being. Forget about doing this, what I want to call doing this, the stuff we do in our life. Forget about doing this altogether. And decide on a moment-to-moment basis what it is you want to be. 
because you are in fact a human being, not a human doing. And how you will achieve the expression in fullness of divinity is by deciding what you choose to be, what is appropriate for you by your own choice and selection in terms of what you wish to be in the face of any particular exterior circumstance, situation, or event. And having made the decision of what you wish to be, then step into that. And by being this, I mean, I want to be compassionate, or I want to be forgiving, or I want to be intelligent, I want to be wise, I want to be clear, I want to be gentle, I want to be honest, I want to be loving, I want to be patient, or all of the above put together. But life is so marvelously designed that each of its moments allows us to select a state of beingness and then to express and experience that in fullness or in as close to fullness as the circumstance and our level of willingness will allow. If we spend our life doing that, you will discover that the things you thought you had to do and the things you were trying to gather by the doingness, get the girl, get the guy, get the house, get the car, get the job, get the better house, get the better car, get the kids, get the grandkids, get the better job, get the office in the corner, get the promotion, get the retirement watch, get the cruise tickets, get the sickness, and get the heck out. And that's how most people live their lives from beginning to end, thinking that if they can just do the stuff they need to do, they can finally have the stuff they've always wanted to have, and then they'll be, at last, the things they've always wanted to be, mm. happy, healthy, secure, etc. And God says it's just the other way around. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. And that's an important caveat, an important postscript, that when we start considering the possibility that we have free will, our free will doesn't mean that we should sit there and decide, what do I want to be? Butcher, baker, candlestick maker? What should my occupation, you know, no, no, it's not about what we're doing. It's about what we want to actually achieve in terms of our ongoing state of beingness. So, the kingdom of heaven and completion of the sacred journey refer to the same experience. The problem with both phrases is that no one has lately, if ever, explained or described to you what this experience is or how to achieve it. The kingdom of heaven is not a physical location. It is a state of being. It is, in fact, the state of being complete. And so it is perfect that the two phrases are used interchangeably. This is from The Only Thing That Matters, written by Neil Donald Walsh, who is my guest today. He is an author of 27 books on practical spirituality, which, and many of which have sold millions of copies worldwide. He created the Conversation with God series, and his books have been translated into 35 languages, seven which have made the New York Times bestseller list. You can find out more about Neil Donald Walsh and The Only Thing That Matters at cwgportal.com. That's cwgportal.com. We'll be right back with Neil Donald Walsh. This is the Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 
11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. You have been told that humanity's basic instinct is survival. That is not your basic instinct at all. Once you remember your true basic instinct, you'll have a whole new basis with which to make every decision and choice in your life. The Only Thing That Matters, authored by Neil Donald Walsh, is a book that speaks to you, from you, Don't be surprised if it feels like it's your own diary with your own thoughts recorded long, long ago, newly found again. This is the missing piece to the puzzle. It was right here in front of you all along, and now you can see it again, but as if it's for the very first time, and everything will finally fit. Neil, we were talking about completion and how the kingdom of heaven is not actually a physical location, but yet a state of being. And talk a little bit about how Although we are looking for this wholeness and completion, it's impossible to be completely complete because that's part of the experience of what we're here for, that ever-expanding experience and expression of divinity. Yes, in the moment, I'm instructed, in the moment that we get to a place called completion, the essence of that which is, which I'm going to call God, is expanded Actually, it isn't really expanded, but our awareness of the totality of that essence is expanded. Let me make clear that I've been told that that which is, is that which is. That is, it always was, is now, and ever shall be. It doesn't really grow or expand because it exists in totality in the ever-present moment of now. So it is kind of like always now here complete. What does expand, however, what is totally capable of expanding is our consciousness of or our awareness of the totality. So it's like walking into a library and discovering new books on a shelf we hadn't discovered before. The books were always there. The library hasn't gotten any bigger. But our awareness of what's on all the shelves has grown as we've explored and, and, uh, and found that, that which we did not know was there before. So I think that we expand our consciousness in the moment that we experience completion that is the fullest expression of divinity of which we are currently capable in any situation or circumstance. And 
it, you know, this is not too difficult to understand. When I explain this to audiences at lectures, they start to look a little puzzled at the outset, but then when I give them the example, they immediately get it. So I'll give you this example now. Love. We often fall in love with people, and we imagine that we are expressing love at the fullest possible level. And then, as years go by, and we remain in that love relationship, we discover that we, it is entirely possible, miraculously so, I might add, to love that person more and more. I love to turn to my wife and say, you know, it's, the, it's my lived truth, my experienced reality, that I love you more and more every day. I, I didn't even think it was possible to love somebody as much as I love you. And as much as I love you now, I can't wait to see how much I'm going to love you a year from today if this process continues, and clearly it is going to continue. So many people have had, most people have had the experience of imagining they're loving someone completely, only to find out that the word completely has grown as time goes by, and they love someone even more completely and even more completely. And so in that sense, it is impossible to ever become completely complete, because the moment that we completely express any aspect of divinity, our awareness of avenues to which we can go, shelves that we can explore, ways that we can be, our awareness of that expands, and we discover that with the experience of fullness comes a fuller experience of completion. Mm. Now, I want to go back to something that you said, and that was that everything exists, it always has, it always will be. And that takes me back to the other topic that we were going to talk about, and that was the body and the mind in addition to the soul. So if it all just exists, you have a huge section in there about how the body and the mind never die as well. Will you talk a little bit about that? I'd be happy to because most people hold the belief, and they've been told this, those who are religious have been told this by their religions, uh, and philosophies say it as well in some cases that we are three-part beings, body, mind, and spirit, or body, mind, and soul, if you will. But the general belief of people is that the soul, if you believe in the soul at all, now maybe you don't, but if you believe in the soul at all, the general belief is that the soul lives forever, and the body and the mind is left behind. And then perhaps the soul, those who believe in reincarnation, would say the soul comes back with a new body and a new mind and, and, and for an endless number of times, presumably. But I am instructed that it is not about us leaving the body and the mind behind. Actually, we are three-part beings in total. We are, in fact, our body, our mind, and our soul. And the three parts of us never separate from each other. They simply change form. The soul does not change its form. It always was, is now, and always will be exactly what it is right now. But the body and the mind are kind of like to use a phrase from our lovely science fiction movies, kind of like a shape-shifter, that the body and the mind can shift its shape and leave behind small little aspects of the totality of what it is, and, uh, which is pure energy, of course, and then take with it the vast majority, 99.9% of the energy that it is. The, the uh, analogy that I was given and that I've uh, put in the book, because when it was given to me in a moment of inspiration, I totally understood it, was a, a log in a fireplace. Here's a huge log that we've brought in from outside and put in the fireplace, and after several hours, the log is no longer there. But it has not 
in fact cease to exist. It simply changed the form in which it expresses the energy that composed the log. It, it, is, it has literally gone up in smoke. And, and, and as well, it has demonstrated itself as light, as well as, as heat. So we see that at, it, it, there are at least three manifestations we can see right in front of our eyes. The log is changing its energy and ex, 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 expending and expressing its energy as light and heat and smoke and vapor and so forth. Now, those things don't cease to exist. They simply exist in a different form. The same, same is true of a snowflake. You know, a snowflake never really goes away. It simply changes form. It falls from the sky. There are no two snowflakes alike. We are advised by science. So a snowflake falls to the ground and joins other snowflakes in a great big pile that we call simply the snow or a snow bank. Then the sun melts the snow, but the snowflake does not really disappear. It simply changes form and turns into water. And then water will evaporate. The puddle of water that the snow once was ultimately evaporates and becomes vapor. But the snowflake has not disappeared. It simply changed form again. And it's become something we cannot see, vapor which rises into the air, high into the sky, if you will, to, go, to start the cycle all over again on the next cold December day. And I love another another analogy that you give, and it actually takes the whole concept and how we view ourselves a step further, and that's where you talk about trees and, and the seeding of trees and, and additional uh, plantings that happen to grow from that. Talk a little bit about that. Well, again, yes, a, a, a tree grows, and it is a magnificent tree, and, of course, it drops seeds into the ground, and uh, and then one day... Uh, those seedlings, uh, you know, take root and create what we call other trees. Meanwhile, the, 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 the parent tree, if you please, grows to a point, and after maybe several hundred years, it falls down of its own weight, and we say the tree has died. On the other hand, other trees have grown up around it from the seeds that it dropped. What's the difference between the other trees and the so-called parent tree? Is it not the same thing? Is it not the exact same essence simply regenerating itself in a multitude of forms? And so the parable of the tree and the seed tells us that by this process that we can see right in front of our eyes, life goes on in a single expression of multitudinous forms. And then that would mean, if we really wanted to know our true divinity, that we are like those additional trees that came from the original divine. We are the different seedlings, but we are all the same as that. Individuations of God. So tell me where the emotions go. Can we select the emotions? Are there certain emotions that will really support this experience of creation and completion ongoing completion of experiencing our divinity? Well, the most important emotion uh, that, that I have learned uh, that helps us to do exactly what you're talking about, uh, come to completion in the expression of divinity, is the emotion that human beings loosely call gratitude. Gratitude is just a remarkably, remarkably powerful uh, emotion. It is a, and the reason it's so powerful is that it is a decision Gratitude is a choice. 
And the, everything in life, of course, is a choice at, at, at its root. But gratitude is visibly and clearly a choice. You don't have to think very far to realize that gratitude is a decision. It's a choice made by the mind to feel a certain way. And we think that gratitude wells up within us automatically. But in fact, it is a creation as well as a response. And when it's a creation, consciously, as opposed to unconscious creation, when when we use gratitude as a conscious creation, we suddenly step into the doorway of divinity, what I call the archway or the doorway of divinity, the portal, if you please, of God, where we then get to intentionally experience divinity. Because divinity really is the ultimate expression of what we call love. And by the way, I want to place before the audience a possibly revolutionary thought, since we're discussing emotion. Let me, um, Neil, let me let you hold that one until we come back to the next segment. I need to take a break. Will you allow yourself to recreate yourself anew in each golden moment of now, in the next grandest version of the greatest vision ever you held about who you are? Will you consciously give divinity the experience of knowing itself and showing itself in, as, and through you. This is from The Only Thing That Matters, written by Neil Donald Walsh. You can find out more about Neil and all of the work that he has created in the world at cwgportal.com, cwgportal.com. While you're at his site, definitely look up the Civil Rights Movement for the Soul. It's a January fifteenth, two 2013 post, uh, a very important post and something beautifully written, something that we all need to be conscious and aware of. Again, that's cwgportal.com, and we'll ask Neil about that when we get back. We'll be right back with Neil Donald Walsh. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. 
You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Employing gratitude as a tool is what separates the master, who always does so, from the serious student, who occasionally does so, and the serious student from the initiate, who has never yet heard of it in this context, or who has heard of it but rarely uses it. The master understands that every event in life is part of a contextual field, creating a space within which to express the next grandest version of the greatest vision that the master ever held about who the master is and chooses to be. This is one of many tools offered in The Only Thing That Matters, just released from Neil Donald Walsh, one of many beautiful books that he has written. And I urge you definitely to visit his site. That's cwgportal.com. Go ahead, Neil, uh, with the topic that you were expanding upon uh, as we were talking about gratitude. We, I kind of cut you off so that we could take a break, so please continue. I was simply going to say that it's a revolutionary thought for many people, uh, what I'm going to share now. So everybody get ready, get set, hold on to your seats. But uh, talking about emotion as a tool with which to move forward in our evolutionary process, the, I am instructed that the emotion of that everything, every human action, choice, decision, is an expression of love. And I had a very hard time understanding that this is why God does not have to forgive us for anything. The notion that God somehow has to forgive us for something would suggest, therefore, that God has to forgive us for loving or for loving in a way that we would call inappropriate. Now, the, 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 the problem with humanity's, uh, or the challenge with humanity's current experience of life is that we have lived in a distorted reality, and so our responses to the impulse to love have in many cases been distorted because we have refused to embrace, believe, or understand the truth of who we are and who and what God is. So, but, but God said to me, look, Every action is an expression of love. The thief steals because he loves something, he wants something, because he loves it so much and can't think of any other way to get it. The same thing is true of every other distorted expression of love, including the evil of war. People who, people who go to war do, go to war because of something they love, love of their country, love of a certain principle. It's a, it's a horribly distorted expression of love, as is every other crime against humanity. In truth, all the crimes against humanity are simply distorted wailings, distorted wailings of love. And that's what Jesus was trying to explain when he turned to, and trying to demonstrate and to model when he turned to the thief on the cross, on the cross next to him and said, on this day, you'll be alongside of me with my Father who is in heaven. Because, because Christ understood perfectly well that the thief only stole because he loved something. If you don't love anything, you don't hate anything. Understand that even hatred is an expression of love. If you love nothing, you have no reason to hate anything. Think about that, and think about it deeply, and you'll understand why God says, with evolution comes deep understanding and the total lack of forgiveness. But instruction replaces forgiveness. That is, additional education and instruction allows the growing consciousness of humanity to expand such that it no longer distorts its expressions of love. So let me just repeat that to make sure that I got it and to make sure that my audience can get it. And that is that there is absolutely nothing that, we need, that God needs to forgive. Absolutely nothing that God needs to forgive because everything, all those things that we would judge as good or bad, 
everything simply rests in the field of love as love. Precisely, and if you look at it analytically, you see that that, can, that is profoundly true. You cannot think of a single action that any human being has ever undertaken that was not an expression of love. You can see the actions that were terribly distorted, twisted expressions of love, but the expressions of love nonetheless. Therefore, the healing of humanity will not be in causing human beings to stop loving, but rather to stop distorted and twisted responses to the love impulse. And that, that's a learned response. We, we, and, and learned responses, fortunately for us, are achievable by a growing and evolving species. Mm, that's a really powerful c- concept to take in and really allow, because that would change everything. Well, I, 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 it would indeed change everything. And a, a really simple, ex- uh, a really simple um, example of this. I know it's simplistic, but it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful example. When when I was three and two and three and four, I would steal candy from a baby. You know, because the baby's only 18 months old and can't do anything about it, and I love the candy. So, you know, but there comes a time in life when we stop taking candy from babies. We, we don't love the candy any less. We have simply decided to express our love for candy in a more appropriate way. That is, in a way that more clearly and purely demonstrates who we really are. So it's a very simple explanation. But as we evolve spiritually through all the years and lifetimes of our evolutionary process, we begin to slough off distorted and twisted behaviors. And we begin to step into more pure expressions of the love of divinity that are not distorted in any way. Mm, Very powerful. Neil, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I would like to talk about the post that you wrote January fifteenth, two 2013, and have you tell people what this civil rights movement for the soul is all about. It's simply a movement that has been undertaken by Humanities Team, an organization that I co-created and founded, and with uh, partnerships and friends all around the world. And uh, the civil rights movement for the soul is an undertaking to free humanity from the oppression of its beliefs in a violent, angry, and vindictive God, and to replace those beliefs with a new understanding of what is really so, and to replace competition with cooperation, and to replace the distortions of love with the purest expressions of love, and to replace the idea of separation with the idea of the oneness and the unity of not only all of humanity, but of all of life, for that matter. So the civil rights movement for the soul is the last great civil rights movement on the earth. It is that, that movement which will free humanity from the oppression of its beliefs in a violent, angry, and vindictive God. If people want to know more about how they can participate in that civil rights movement, and there are many, many ways to do that on the, on, on the ground in cities, towns, and villages around the world, all they have to do is go to cwgportal.com, and when they get there, Click on the icon for Humanities Team, and Humanities Team, a global organization with memberships around the world and branches in every country of the world, uh, has launched a massive program that can get this civil rights movement going. Absolutely beautiful. I want to thank you, Neil, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. It is always an honor and a pleasure, and your book's are just um, so beautifully, beautifully written. I really, truly appreciate them for my own personal journey. This book that we are speaking about tonight is The Only Thing That Matters, written by Neil Donald Walsh. 
and there is something that you need to know, something that life wants you to understand, and this is what it is. 98% of the world's people are spending 98% of their time on things that don't matter. It's time to find your answer to that question. You can find out more about Neil Donald Walsh at cwgportal.com, cwgportal.com. Definitely look that up. If you haven't read any of his other books or would like to tap into more of his other work, you can find out about all of that information right on that website. Next week, my guest will be Jim Oliver, and we will experience the beautiful healing music that he creates and the way that he uses dissonance and resonance within the tones and the sounds so that you actually create healing in the body. Until next week, I'm Simran Singh. Be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of Conscious Choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens.